and welcome once again to EWTN's Bookmark. I'm Doug Keck, your host, our guest, author and friend, Janet Morana. Her book, Everything You Need to Know About Abortion for Teens, published by TAN, available naturally through our EWTN religious catalog, EWTNRC.com for all things Catholic. And it's great to see you again. Great Janet. to be here, Doug. <laughs> Been on many programs over the years on, right. on the network and certainly a, a big pro-life warrior in this book, Everything You Need to Know About Abortion, but it's for teens. Why for teens? Well, basically, uh, because for, the main reason is that they are targeted uh, by Planned Parenthood, as you probably know. They're in the school system, in the public schools. They're on college campuses. So our young people are targeted by the abortion industry. And Tan, who published my first book, Recall Abortion, approached me and said, you know, Janet, we really loved Recall Abortion. It was a bestseller. But can you take that and refashion it just a little bit and add more current things to it mm -hmm. and talk to kids? So I always say it's for teens, but adults too, because right. I think you've read it. Adults can, there's a lot of facts in here right. that they need to know too. But I spoke to kids, you know, right. kind of said to them, well, if you don't believe me, ask your father. And oh, here, this is how this went. And then of course I included a whole chapter on chastity, which I thought was very important. And then finally, uh, near the end of the book, I introduced them to the pro-life movement. Right. I taught, I break down all the different groups in the movement, showing them the major groups and their websites and what they do, because my hope is this becomes then a study guide for them mm -hmm. to go forward and find their place to help bring it into abortion. Well, what do you say to people who say, but I thought Roe v. Wade was overturned and over, mm -hmm. well, that's, that's all passe now, and right. so what are we talking about now? Well, basically all that did was it took it out of the court system and put it back in the legislative branches of our government. So it's in the states, yes, but it's also at the federal level. Mm -hmm. So first of all, we have the states, and we all know that there's been at least seven or eight, and it keeps increasing, number of states who have now enshrined it in their constitution, abortion till birth, and so forth. And then there's other states, about 13 at this taping. Are you surprised that that's been the reaction? <clears throat> I'm not surprised because, you know, there's not an abortion the abortion industry doesn't like. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they keep muddling up with reproductive health and medical abortion and all these nice soft terms. Mm -hmm. But in fact, it's the killing of an unborn child, which I, I really spell out in the book for the right. kids. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, too, what it does to the woman, what it does to the, the mom, the dad, the grandparents, the sib future siblings, the whole family unit is impacted, but also to society at large. I mean, look at all, we have over 65 million children lost because of Roe v. Wade, and that's just the ones we can kind of count and keep track of, and I'm sure there's many more than that. Right. Uh, and it's still happening. And so we've got to show people, my goal by writing this book is to make abortion unthinkable. Uh, you know, kind of like when you think back tobacco, when I, when we were growing up, right, smoking mm -hmm. was cool, everyone did it, it was all over the place, even smoked on planes. Mm -hmm. But then how long did it take for the Surgeon General to give the stamp on the packages and the Cancer Society to really try to change right. things? Do people still smoke? Yeah. But it's kind of very unacceptable and taboo right now, right? Most places you can't smoke. Right. And so people have woken up about smoking. So we've got to do that with abortion. We've got to get to the point where it's a product we don't want to buy. Well, we it's don't interesting. Want to have. You said you want to make it unthinkable. Right. Part of the problem it seems to be is that people don't want to think about it at all. Well, uh, that's true in a way. But since Roe v. Wade, as you know, mm -hmm. it's it's opened up a can of worms. Kind of, we've we've always you know said oh, pro-life people all these years. 
let's get it off the back burner, put it on the front burner. Well, because of that leaked document, mm -hmm. uh, the Alito document, now it's, it's out and everyone is talking about it. Mm -hmm. So I think what we have to do is have honest conversations. Instead of couching it in soft words like reproductive rights, let's talk about what an abortion is. Let's challenge people to say, well, have you seen what an abortion is? Uh, you know, there's diagrams out there you can see of first, second, and late-term abortion. Mm -hmm. uh, there's all the testimonies of the women who've had abortions, as you know, that I work with. With Silent No More. Silent and, No More, right, Rachel's Vineyard. Right. I mean, these are the people who bought the lie or were even pressured and forced to have an abortion and found out it didn't solve their problems, it created all the problems. Right. So I think we have to keep the discussion going, but an honest discussion, and I always want to say these politicians and people that support abortion say, well, have you ever seen what an abortion does to an unborn child? Challenge them to look and at... And that's why you have basically a gallery of photos. Yes, yes. Uh, in the book, in color. Yes, and, and these are not pictures, by the way, Doug, of, of abortion. Uh, right. They can go to websites for that, which I direct them to. Right. But they're, they're beautiful pictures of the unborn child. Right. And what I did was I deliberately took pictures starting at seven weeks, seven, eight, nine, ten weeks, because those are the very weeks that they are killing these babies mm. by the chemical abortion, the RU486. And as you know okay. now, it's over the counter right. going. Right. You can get it I mean, at the it's going to be the right prescription. Exactly. Right. And I want these young people to see what that baby looks like. Right. And the baby is talking to them in the pictures where they're saying, look at me, my heart has already been beating millions of times. Right. Look what I can do. Right. I can move, flex my arms and my legs and my muscles are growing. I want them to identify with this unborn child. Mm -hmm. And for the reason that maybe they would never have an abortion, but they could save a life. They could stop a friend or a classmate from having an abortion. And that's what I want to do. Empower them with the tools they can to save children's lives. Now, you, uh, Mary Kaminsky uh, from the St. John Harry Newman Catholic Center did the forward, and she makes the point, did you know that one-third of your generation, meaning to, for teens, is missing because of abortions? Right. And you say, in this book, you'll learn about the history and deep, dark secrets of the abortion industry and why many of those involved in promoting it have since changed their minds. Did you pick her to write the Yes, I write did. Write the forward, and yes, why? Yes, I did. Well, I've known Mary uh, for decades. Uh, she had her abortion, actually, as a teenager. Mm -hmm. She lived in New Jersey, and Planned Parenthood in New Jersey sent her across state lines into New York, because at that time, right. abortion was illegal uh, in New Jersey. So she went with her boyfriend to New York, and she actually had her abortion in Dr. Nathanson's clinic. Oh, really? Yes, she did. Not He, he didn't actually perform yeah, her abortion, right. but it was the clinic that he owned, and he did do abortions right. there. Uh, and of course, um, you know, she went through years and years of uh, regret and trauma, and eventually uh, came to healing and, and through Rachel's Vineyard, right. and then speaks very vocally with Silent No More. And of course, she's our co-host on The Catholic View for Women, so right. Mary and I go way back. Uh, but she also speaks a lot on college campuses, right. and right. she knows the heart of the young people, because that's her work. And so I picked her to write the forward, because I know she knows how to talk to our youth. Right. You know? She <clears throat> makes the point, after an abortion, the body remembers because the womb is the heart of the woman. Right. What's your reaction to that? Well, that's so true. I mean, you know, women, we are nurturers. God made us that way uh, to give life, create life. And so, you know, what the abortion does, mm -hmm. it, it disrupts 
our, what's our very nature, you know, to, to be a, a, a giving mom and everything. So, uh, and Mary knows that quite well because of her experience. You know? Now, you, you talk about my way or God's way, and, and initially when you're, you talk about your own life and when right. you were a school teacher in New York City, were you in Brooklyn and Manhattan? Where were you? Uh, you grew I, up in Brooklyn. I right? grew up in Brooklyn, but right. I taught school, public school, in uh, Staten Island. Oh, in Staten yeah, Island. Okay. Yeah. And you had a good friend uh, named Denise, or at least that's the name you use here, right. uh, who again was the classic case of being pro-choice. Well, you were pro you were kind of the oddball, right? Yes, <laughs> I right. was the oddball. No, I remember in those <laughs> days people would think, well, why wouldn't you? you yeah. Well, I'm personally my, opposed was. T yeah. A typical thing for yeah. people in, to in say. In my school, I was, uh, there was only maybe two or three of the teachers out of 40 uh, that <clears throat> were pro-life. And uh, it was odd, though, with my friend there. I remember when they had the whole partial birth abortion right. discussion. And they, there was a thing where you could sign a postcard to say, I'm against that. And I had showed it. You know, we were talking in the teacher's lunchroom, and mm -hmm. I showed it to my friend. And she said, oh, well, I'm not in favor of that. I said, well, that's, that's a abortion. She goes, Oh, well, I guess I'm not as pro-choice as I thought. Mm -hmm. So we got to move her ne right. the needle down a little bit more to say, oh, well, that's going too far. Right. Uh, and that's why I think the discussions on what an abortion does to an unborn child is so important, because we can move people down right. the road. I thought it was interesting, too, you talk about the experience with the chickens. Oh, the uh, chicken, and, yes. The chicken <laughs> and, and, and kind of that reaction. And then you go to, to expand that out to people who are, are pro-aborts or very right. pro-choice in a sense of, but seem to, and you talk about what if it was a litter of dogs. Puppies, of right. Puppies or yeah. whatever, the reaction is totally different. That's right. Well, the story about the chicken was yeah. we were first grade teachers. We were raising these little chicks uh, in eggs in the incubator and we'd come in every day to check them. And so this morning, uh, uh, it was premature. The one chick, the shell cracked open, and you could see the, the heartbeat pulsing, pulsing, mm -hmm. and you knew the, the, babe, the chick was going to die. Right. And she was horrified, horrified. And then she said, Oh, is there something we can do? I said, I'm sorry, Debbie, but, you know, unfortunately, mm -hmm. it's, it's uh, you know, premature. Right. And and um, I said, you know, that's what happens with unborn children. And she just paused and went, I never thought about that. Right. It got her to rethink. Now, the example I give the kids about, about puppies right. is, I, I take two examples. Suppose you have a, a dog, a thoroughbred, pregnant with four or five puppies, and now there's a, a mutt, thorough, you know, dog, mixed breed, and also pregnant. Well, the one with the thoroughbred, they're going to sell those puppies, you know, to people and make a lot of money. But with this other one, they're going to have a hard time finding homes. So wouldn't it better just to terminate those puppies now? After all, we have so many dogs that don't have homes out there. Right. Everybody will be outraged. Right. And when you say that to kids, they just pause and they look and they go, oh, okay. So we won't abort puppies, but we'll abort children, people. Mm. And so I think sometimes when you make these examples to young people and adults too, they can see how ridiculous our thinking is sometimes. Right. So <laughs> did you stop being a doubting Thomasina when you went to Epcot? <laughs> Was that the beginning of it or what? Well, that's the story where uh, Epcot used to have a, a, a display about when life began years ago, <laughs> you know, a number of years ago. Yeah, I wonder where that went, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it was in the front part by this fountain, and um, it was the first time I really saw uh, pictures of, uh, you know, fetal development like mm. that. And when I came out, it just reminded me the fact that, you know, I had taken the birth control pill, you know, when I was married, uh, and, and it just, like, flooded over me like, oh, my gosh. Did I abort God's will? Did I abort life? Mm -hmm. And so it became a real awakening for me 
uh, to kind of go back and through spiritual direction and delve into my my role in taking contraceptives and everything. Right. You know, by that point I had gone away from all that. I had to come back to the church, but I never really dug deeper into those years of taking the pill. What did that do to me? morally and my soul and all that. So I had to go back and do right. some more spiritual direction and deal with it, but it, it was well worth the experience, I think. So were you a, fran a fan of Maud's or not? A fan of what? Maud, when she was on TV in 1972. Oh. You bring up Maud. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, also too, the, the subject of abortion came right, up with right. in the Maud back then. Right. And, you know, again, see, when, when abortion happened in 1973, I was I was in college, mm -hmm. and the Vietnam War was the big thing. Right. I, I wasn't even aware of Roe v. Wade. I know that sounds crazy, but it wasn't. My friends, we were watching our friends being drafted and right, going exactly. off. Right. And so that was the cause that got my attention. And I didn't find out till years later uh, about abortion. Mm -hmm. uh, it took a number, a long time, really. And, and when I did mm -hmm. and came to realize uh, with the pro-life people on Staten Island that I worked with, I was like, you're kidding. People are really having an abortion. I'll never mm. forget one time, standing out praying with others in front of an abortion uh, mill in Long Island, mm. and seeing visible. That wasn't Bill Baird's clinic, was it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> but it was another clinic mm -hmm. in Levittown. But seeing women with right visible. Right on Hempstead Turnpike, I know where that uh, is. You know where it is. Yeah. <laughs> but seeing people with visible baby bumps mm -hmm. going into abort children for me was a shocker. Right. And I think an iron door closed behind me that said, I have to do something to help women. Right. I have to stop this, this is wrong. And so, you know, phrases like abortion harms women, abortion hurts women, I was using those phrases in my pro-life work all the way back in the early 90s. Uh, you know, so I guess when you say like, how did you come about Silent No More and all this other stuff, mm -hmm. it started all the way back then when I said, this is not right for women, it's wrong. And the more I learned, the more, you know, um, what should I say, I involved I got that I said, that's it. And I got to a point uh, in the year 2000 where I was working in pro-life work as a volunteer and I was also teaching public school, but I came to a crossroads and that's when that iron door went behind me and I said, no, that's it. I want to spend my entire life doing something to bring an end to abortion. So you saw it as a calling then? Right? Yes, I did. Okay. I did. And I have ever since. You know, right. it's been 30, <laughs> more than 30 years, Doug, and here I still am. But From illegal to legal abortion, in that chapter you say, uh, abortion through all nine months is available only in a handful of countries, including the United States, Canada, China, North Korea, Vietnam, Singapore, and the Netherlands. Right. In much of Europe, abortion is only legal under until 12 weeks. That was one of the things that I think a lot of people, when at least the Roe v. Wade thing uh, was overturned, were unaware of. Right. I think a lot of people were thinking, Gee, you know, we're, we're, we're troglodytes here, the right. very progressive Europeans are way ahead of us. But yeah. when it came to abortion, we no. really were we, ahead of a lot of people. We're ahead and we're in line with all those communist right. countries you right. just named. Right. I mean, most of Europe is only up to 12 weeks. And so, you know, it's it, we are at fault, really, in America of exporting abortion all over the world. We really are. And a lot of other things. And right? a lot of other things, too. Yeah, yeah, with contraception, as you know, and all that. It's one big package, you know, that goes worldwide. And so um, I just want people to be aware of how radical our position here is in the United States. Right, right. You know? Even though we, we it gets uh, portrayed as if it's not. Now, you, you knew Nathanson. Yes, I did. Okay. Who was Bernard Nathanson? Well, Bernard Nathanson was a man who went on a journey, you know. Um, 
everyone knows the story about how he even aborted his own child. He says he was responsible for 60,000 um, uh, abortions from his clinic alone. And of course, he was, uh, he said, we built this whole industry on lies. He fully admits that. Right. And he also said. And so the devil always works, right? Exactly. And he also said that he was, they counted on the church's silence to get away with what they did. And he, one of the quotes, and I think I quoted in the book, was mm -hmm. he said that they would never have gotten away what they did if the church had been united, purposeful, and strong. Right. And so he was counting on that he got the church sleeping and, and pushed that whole abortion agenda on us. But then, you know, he did have a conversion right. uh, with the uh, advent of ultrasound. You know, he actually saw that baby moving away from yeah, the, the instrument, silent scream. the silent scream, yeah. and, and that began his awakening. So he 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 converted first because looking at abortion for the first time, really, mm -hmm. because before that it was a blind procedure they were doing with the mm -hmm. forceps and everything. So now he got to see, oh my gosh, I'm really killing that baby. Mm -hmm. It was he made that connection, and from there, you know, because he was a Jewish and almost like no faith at all, so he gradually, you know, became pro-life. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he saw the love of the pro-life movement. And that, I think, deeply uh, right. affected him. And I was at a conference. Uh, it was back in 1994. It was an HLI conference in Irvine, California. And he was supposed to give a workshop on RU486. And he gets to the microphone and he says, I'm not covering this topic today. And we were all just like shocked, like what? And he said, no, I have to tell you what's been burning in my heart. I'm on the brink of conversion, mm -hmm. of, of, of accepting Christ in my life. Well, Alice von Hildebrand was in the room oh, with really? me, and the whole place leapt up in joy, and she was the, like, you know how tiny mm -hmm. she is, she yeah, was yeah, like yeah. in the air, and we all, and she yelled out, and we'll pray for you now, doctor, and we, the whole room burst out in prayer for him. So he was started on that journey in 94, and then as you know, he eventually became right. Catholic, and right. uh, Cardinal O'Connor baptized him, and right. uh, Joan Andrews Bell uh, was the godmother, and so it was some some journey that right. he came full circle. And that's why I... I, I you can never give up hope. You never give up hope, and right. that's why I have hope for Nancy Pelosi, for, for Biden, for the whole abortion industry. Mm -hmm. I've, I've met uh, doctors, abortion doctors, who have come out of the industry, right. you know, uh, who've dropped their instruments and say, I can't do this any longer. And so for me, we're not against them. We're for them. Is that why they're trying, making it so nurses can do it and trying to figure out ways around? Well, because they are. They're running out of doctors who are right. willing to do abortion. I mean, you tell me, Doug, what man or woman goes to medical school and says, I want to be an abortionist? Not really. You know, um, it, it's usually the lower rung of the medical profession, and they have made it sound that you don't even have to be an OBGYN or a regular MD to do an abortion, like you just said right, anymore. Right. In California, uh, doulas can do them, uh, nurse practitioners can right, do them, right. and they're going to just keep watering it down. Right. And you, I don't know. I would not want any of those kind of people doing a, a surgical procedure right. on a woman. Right. I mean, I think I bring that out in the book too. When you look at what they do to women in abortion clinics, it's not good medicine. They're like at all. front alley abortions instead. You yeah, know? I mean, exactly. It's like yeah. the same people all really they don't did, know what they're doing. They took the sign off the back door and put it right, on the front right, door. Right, right. But same uh, thing. yeah. Now you knew Norma McCorvey. Uh, right. um, also known, obviously, as Jane Roe in your story. Now, there was a lot of discussion about her in the later time, what she believed and what she didn't believe. Right. What was your take? 
Well, first of all, Norma was a personal friend of mine. Not right. just I knew her, personal right. friend. She stayed at my home in New York. I stayed at her home in Dallas. Uh, she actually took me and bought me my first cowboy hat and boots and oh, took really? me shopping, yes. And I used to send her bagels from New York because she loved them. <laughs> that was kind of our friendship, you know. She called me Woman of the East, you know, who she would call for for advice. And so Norma, you know, she, she, she was 100% pro-life. She fought with uh, Sandra Cano, the, the Doe of Doe v. Bolton, to overturn Roe mm -hmm. uh, through the Justice Foundation. They brought their case to the Supreme Court, but they didn't grant them certiorari to hear the mm -hmm. case. And so it was her desire her entire life to want to see the overturning of this sad decision. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I know some people alluded to the last few years of her life, like, oh, no, she flipped back. Doug, I spoke to Norma less than an hour before she passed away. She called me. Mm -hmm. uh, her daughter had placed the call, and she wanted to speak to me. And she made me promise, Janet, I'm not going to be here to see this through. Please, please, can you continue with all the work you do, with the groups you do, and bring an end to abortion and overturn Roe v. Wade? I need to know you're going to keep at it. And I said, Norma, I promise you. I will not stop until we see the overturning right. of Roe and we make abortion illegal and unthinkable. And so on June the 24th at 10, 10 a.m., when we had that Dobbs decision, Doug, I just looked up to the heavens. I had tears in my eyes and I said, Norma, promises kept. Mm -hmm. That was my sentiment, promises kept. Uh, because, you know, it, it hurt her so much uh, over the years, knowing that by her flippantly over a pizza lunch signing that paperwork, right. you know, that this happened. Which and was all a lie. It was all a lie right. because, first of all, she was all, already several months pregnant right. when she signed the, that paperwork. So they knew darn well she wasn't uh, going to get an abortion. Right. The other thing, too, is you tell me, when does the plaintiff never spend one day in court? She never spent a day in court. Uh, the lawyer never contacted her throughout those years, that, you know, the couple of years that it took the case to get to the Supreme Court. And as we know, it was heard twice. Mm -hmm. Norma McCorvey found out about uh, Roe v. Wade the day on January 22nd, that morning when she opened the front door of her home, picked up the Dallas newspaper and saw the headline. Really? That's how she found out. Now you would think the lawyer, you won, would be calling her client to tell them. No. Who was that, Sarah Weddington? Yeah, Sarah Weddington and right. uh, Coffee, the two right. of them. No, they didn't call Norma. She found out by picking up the paper, and she brought it in. A friend was sitting there having coffee with her, and she threw the paper down, and she said, look, look at this. Abortion's now legal in America. And guess what? And the friend went, what? And I'm the Jane Roe of Roe. Mm. And the person went, and I'm the Queen of England. Ha, right. ha, ha. They didn't believe her, you right. know? And of course, she spent a number of years uh, in the abortion industry. Right. But she got to a point where she wasn't doing uh, very well working, counseling the women. Because she was started to say to them things like, now, do you really sure you want to have an abortion? Do you know what that is? Mm -hmm. So she wasn't selling that abortion. That wasn't, uh, yeah. Yeah, she wasn't selling it. And so eventually, as you know, um, the... Uh, she got off the talking points. Yeah, and she left the abortion industry right. with the help of actually Operation Rescue and Flip right. Venom, and the, because they were right next door, right. and they were reaching out to her. And uh, so she became pro-life, and then eventually came into the Catholic Church. Right. One of the things in the later years when she suffered from uh, COPD, yeah. and she had trouble breathing, breathing, she stayed home more, she made rosary beads. 
I bet you people oh, didn't, didn't know, know that. that. That was okay. like a little pastime for her. And she took great um, joy out of doing that, making the right. rosary beads. Well, you know, you've got testimonies in here, uh, young people you talk about, the impact, the wider impact as relates to the family and men, et cetera. But one of the things you also have is answering some of the tough questions in the back. But one of the things in, in Children Made to Order on page 151, seeing children as a burden and a punishment. That seems to be a generational thing going on right. with a lot of young people who, e who either don't want to be restricted by having children or feel like the world is so, it's such bad shape, especially with the ecology, mm -hmm. that I can't bring a child into this world. Right. Well, there, there is a certain sentiment out there that I see. Uh, you know, when you talk to young people getting married, you know, I even have a couple of friends of mine who said to me, you know, my son's getting married, and and him and his fiance have said they're not going to have children, right. and they're shocked. You know, parents our age are shocked by that. Like, how did this happen? Right. Why why wouldn't you not want to have children? And some of it is selfish motives. Some mm. of it is this me too attitude. What I want, what I need to do for me, mm. and so you know that's why I think we've got to get back to the basics. We've got to get back more to uh, church because most of these couples that have that Me Too attitude and I don't want children are also not practicing their right. faith. It, it's a d direct connection. So I think we have to challenge people to uh, get back to God. Right, and become more other focused Yes, in, in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, you have in here dialogue with the other side. Shouldn't rape victims have the right to have an abortion? Or I agree, late-term abortions is 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 worse, and it's much worse, as you were describing your friend, but it's very rare. Right. Well, late-term abortion, first of all, is happening. Uh, we have proof of it. Uh, there are certain states, uh, New Mexico is one of them, mm -hmm. uh, where they're doing late-term abortions, uh, Maryland too, uh, Colorado. And uh, we know by the testimonies of, of the people who suffer from those late-term abortions uh, that it is happening. Right. Yeah. So uh, just before we go, what's the reaction to the book so far? It's been wonderful. Uh, a lot of people are uh, kind of embracing the book mm -hmm. and I've had people read it and then they take a highlighter like you, Doug, and then they give it to like their the granddaughter or, right. or grandson and say, okay, now grandma wants you to read this. But one interesting thing is I offer, if a school or a church group orders the book for the kids uh, and they've read it, I'm willing to do a free Zoom meeting with the kids, oh, like wow. meet the okay. author. Because mm -hmm. you know what, Doug, I'm, I'm really committed to educating people on this issue. Right. I, because you know what, I, I, I say at the end of the book to them, there are some abortions only you can stop and some lives you may only be able to save that I want to empower you with that knowledge right. so that you can save a life too and save a friend from going down this road. Very good and hopefully this book will help as well. Thank you, Janet. Thank you, Doug. Janet Morana, author of Everything You Need to Know About Abortion for Teens, available through the EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com, all things Catholic. Thank you for joining us. An important book. Check it out. I'm Doug Keck. See you next time.